0: This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of Dupuytren's disease from the hand section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Dupuytren's disease is a benign proliferative disorder characterized by decreased hand function caused by hand contractures and painful fascial nodules. Diagnosis can be made by physical examination which shows painful nodules in the palm with associated digital contracture. Treatment ranges from non-operative passive stretching to injections, needle aponeurotomy, and operative open fasciectomy if the disease progresses or affects a patient's daily living. Now, let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, as far as the incidence of Dupuytren's disease, this is a relatively common condition with approximately 30 per 100,000 cases occurring annually. In terms of demographics, there is a two-to-one male-to-female ratio, with more severe disease seen in men than in women. Dupuytren's disease most commonly occurs in the 5th to 7th decades of life. It presents earlier in men with a mean of 55 years old than in women with a mean of 65 years old. In terms of ethnicity, Dupuytren's disease most commonly is seen in Caucasian males of northern European descent. It is rare in South America, Africa, and China. In terms of genetics, Dupuytren's disease has an autosomal dominant inheritance pattern with variable penetrance. In terms of anatomic location, the ring finger is most commonly affected, then the small finger, then the middle finger, then the index finger. As far as the pathophysiology of Dupuytren's disease, the myofibroblast is the dominant cell type. This differs from the fibroblast as the myofibroblast has intracellular actin filaments aligned along the long axis of the cell adjacent myofibroblasts connect via extracellular fibronectin to act together to create contracted tissue. Type 3 collagen predominates in Dupatrin's disease way more than type 1 collagen. Cytokines have been implicated, specifically TGF-beta-1, TGF-beta-2, epidermal growth factor, PDGF, and connective tissue growth factor. Some ectopic manifestations to keep in mind include letter hose disease of the plantar fascia in 10 to 30% of patients with Dupuytren's disease, Peyronie's disease of the dartos fascia of the penis in 2 to 8% of patients, and garod disease of the knuckle pads in 40 to 50% of patients. Associated conditions with Dupuytren's disease include HIV, alcoholism, diabetes, and anti-seizure medications. As far as the pathoanatomy, Nodules and cords make up the pathologic anatomy. Nodules appear before contractile cords. Normal fascial bands become pathologic cords, and the regions to keep in mind are the palmar region, the palmo digital transition, and the digital region. The palmar region contains pretendinous cords. The palmo digital transition contains natatory cords and spiral cords. And finally, the digital region contains central cords, which are the distal extent of the pretendinous cord. It also contains lateral cords, digital cords, and retrovascular cords. The important cords to remember include the spiral cord, the central cord, the retrovascular cord, and the natatory cord from the natatory ligament. The spiral cord is the most important cord, and it's the cause of PIP contracture. It typically inserts distally into the lateral digital sheet then into Grayson's ligament. Components include the pretendinous band, spiral band, lateral digital sheet, and Grayson's ligament. The spiral cord travels under the neurovascular bundle, displacing it central and superficially. Again, the spiral cord travels under the neurovascular bundle, displacing it centrally and superficially, which puts it at risk during surgical resection. The best predictors of displacement are PIP joint flexion contracture, which has a 77% positive predictive value, and an interdigital soft tissue mass, which has a 71% positive predictive value. Moving on to the central cord, this occurs from disease involving the pretendinous band. It inserts into the flexor sheath at the PIP joint level and causes MCP contracture. It forms palmar nodules and pits between the distal palmar crease and the palmar digital crease. The central cord is not involved with the neurovascular bundle. Moving on to the retrovascular cord, it runs dorsal to the neurovascular bundle distally. It originates from the proximal phalanx and inserts on the distal phalanx. The retrovascular cord causes DIP contracture. Finally, the natatory cord from the natatory ligament causes web space contracture. What's not involved in Dupuytren's disease includes Cleland's ligament and the transverse ligament of the palmar aponeurosis. Remember, Dupuytren's disease only involves longitudinally-oriented structures. As far as the histopathology of Dupuytren's disease, there are three stages to talk about, the proliferative stage, the involutional stage, and the residual stage. The proliferative stage is hypercellular with large myofibroblasts and immature fibroblasts. This is a nodule. The proliferative stage is very vascular with many gap junctions and there is minimal extracellular matrix. The involutional stage is characterized by a dense myofibroblast network and fibroblasts align along tendon lines and produce more collagen. In the involutional stage there is an increased ratio of type 3 to type 1 collagen. And finally in the residual stage myofibroblasts disappear leaving fibrocytes as the predominant cell line. The residual stage leaves a dense, collagen-rich tissue-slash-scar. As far as the presentation of Dupuytren's disease, symptoms include decreased range of motion, affecting activities of daily living, and painful nodules. Physical exam will reveal a nodule in the pre bands of the palmar fascia. A nodule beyond the MCP joint is a strong clue, suggesting spiral cord displacing the digital nerve midline and superficial, as we previously mentioned. Again, Dupuytren's disease most commonly involves the small or ring finger. The Houston's tabletop test is when you ask the patient to place his or her palm flat on the table, and you can then look for MCP or PIP contracture. Finally, you should also look for bilateral involvement and ectopic associations like the plantar fascia, which is indicative of a more aggressive form, otherwise known as Dupuytren's diathesis. Treatment for Dupuytren's disease can be operative or non-operative. Non-operative management consists of range-of-motion exercises and or injection of Clostridium histolyticum collagenase, a.k.a. Zioflex injections. This may be attempted, but it's important to realize that the condition will not spontaneously resolve, and so setting the patient's expectations accordingly is also important. Xiaflex has low activity against type 4 collagen, which is found in the basement membrane of blood vessels and nerves, explaining the low neurovascular complication rate. The minimum dose is 10,000 units. You will typically use 0.25 milliliters for the MCP and 0.2 milliliters for the PIP. This will be followed by stretch manipulation within 24 to 48 hours under local anesthesia. You can repeat this at one month if the desired result is not achieved. Early efficacy has been seen with injections of clostridial collagenase into Dupuytren's cords. It causes lysis and rupture of the cords. As far as outcomes, Zaflex injections are able to correct MCP/PIP contracture to less than 5 degrees. They tend to be more successful at MCP correction than PIP correction. PIP recurrence tends to be more severe than MCP recurrence. Complications are usually minor and the most common include edema/contusion, skin tear, and or pain. Major complications can occur in 1% of patients and these can include flexor tendon rupture complex regional pain syndrome, and or pulley rupture. A needle aponeurotomy is another non-operative modality that can be indicated for patients with medical comorbidities that preclude surgery and for mild contractures at the MCP greater than the PIP joint. As far as the technique, you can perform this in the office using a 22-gauge or a 25-gauge needle, followed by manipulation and night orthosis wear. As far as outcomes, a needle aponeurotomy is more successful for MCP contractures than PIP contractures. However, there is less improvement and higher recurrence rate than surgery in the form of an open partial fasciectomy. Operative management includes surgical resection fasciectomy, which is indicated for MCP flexion contractures greater than 30 degrees and or PIP flexion contractures. Painful nodules are not an indication for surgery. Skin grafts are rarely needed for primary cases. Indications for skin grafts are severe, diffuse disease, multiple joint involvement, and or recurrences. When skin grafts are used, usually the technique involves a full thickness skin graft. As far as outcomes, skin grafts rarely fail to take even if placed directly over the neurovascular bundle flexor sheath. Dupuytren's recurrence is uncommon beneath a graft, and that's an important point to remember. Now, let's quickly talk about surgical techniques in a bit more detail. A regional-slash-limited-slash-partial palmar fasciectomy involves removal of all diseased tissue only in the involved digits. You will dissect from proximal to distal, and incision options include a Brunner zigzag incision, multiple VYs, or sequential Z-plasties. A regional-slash-limited-slash-partial palmar fasciectomy is the most widely used surgical treatment for Dupuytren's disease, and the pros are that the overlying skin is preserved. Postoperative care involves early active range of motion, starting postoperative day 5 to 7. Post-op care will also involve a nighttime extension brace or splint. A total-slash-radical palmar fasciectomy is infrequently used— However, the technique involves release-slash-excision of all palmar and digital fascia, including non-diseased fascia. The cons of this approach is a high complication rate and little effect on recurrence rate, which is also high. Moving on to an open palm technique, otherwise known as the McCash technique, the approach involves leaving a transverse skin incision open at the distal palmar crease. The pros of this option is reduced hematoma formation and reduced risk for stiffness. As far as outcomes of the open palm technique, they usually are associated with longer healing and greater recurrence than if the palmar defect was covered with a transposition flap or a full thickness skin graft. Salvage techniques for recurrent slash advanced disease include a Houston dermofasciectomy in which you excise skin plus fascia. Other options include arthrodesis or amputation. As far as general outcomes for Dupuytren's disease, Recurrence happens in 30% of patients at 1-2 years, 15% at 3-5 years, 10% at 5-10 years, and less than 10% after 10 years. There is a higher recurrence with non-operative measures such as needle aponeurotomy and collagenase injection. The PIP joint develops contracture of the secondary structures that may need more comprehensive surgical releases such as the volar plate, accessory collateral ligaments, and or flexor sheets. Risks of recurrence include Dupuytren's diathesis, especially in those aged less than 50, white men, Dupuytren's disease in bilateral hands, family history, ectopic disease outside the palm, including later hoses, Peyronie's, and or garage pads. Remember that patients with Dupuytren's diathesis may need more aggressive follow-up and treatment. Other risk factors for recurrence include PIP disease and small finger contracture. Finally, let's talk about some surgical complications. The ones to remember include wound edge necrosis, hematoma, flare reaction, neuromuscular injury, digital ischemia, postoperative swelling, PIP complications, and infection. Hematoma is the most common surgical complication and can lead to flap necrosis. A flare reaction is a pain syndrome with diffuse swelling, hyperesthesia, redness, and stiffness. You can minimize this by not splinting immediately post-op, but applying splints at the first post-op visit. Treatment of a flare reaction includes cervical sympathetic blockage, progressive stress loading in therapy, and or A1 pulley release. Remember that there is no increased risk of complex regional pain syndrome with fasciectomy plus carpal tunnel release. Neurovascular injury is another potential complication because of midline plus superficial displacement of the neurovascular bundle by a spiral cord. Obviously, make sure to identify the neurovascular bundle prior to excising the cord, the risk is 5 to 10 times higher for recurrent disease. Treatment of nerve injury includes immediate nerve repair. Digital ischemia is another potential surgical complication, and the most common reason is correction of long-standing joint contracture and the vessels have inadequate elasticity. Less common reasons for digital ischemia is traction, transection, spasm, intimal hemorrhage, and rupture. You can minimize the risk of digital ischemia by not splinting immediately post-op and applying splints at the first follow-up visit. Treatment of digital ischemia involves allowing the joint to relax and warming the digit, as well as topical lidocaine and papaverine. If the thrombose segment is identified, use an interpositional vein graft. Post-operative swelling is another complication that contributes to stiffness and poor wound healing. PIP complications include stiffness, instability, and flexion contracture. Finally, infection has an increased risk with diabetes mellitus and peripheral vascular disease. You can prescribe oral antibiotics for superficial infection or surgical drainage for deep infection. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, What clinical finding is characteristic of involvement of the natatory ligament in Dupuytren's disease? And the choices are one, palmar pits,
1: two, metacarpal phalangeal joint contracture, three, web space contracture, four, distal interphalangeal joint contracture, and five, tender pads over the dorsal aspect of the proximal interphalangeal joints. So the natatory ligament contributes to web space
0: contracture making 3. web space contracture the correct answer to this question. Specific pathological entities in Dupuytren's disease causes the following contractures. The pre cord causes MCP contracture. The natatory ligament causes web space contracture. The spiral cord causes MCP and PIP contracture. The lateral cord causes PIP or DIP flexion contracture. The retrovascular cord causes DIP hyperextension contracture. Strickland et al. discussed the pathogenesis of Dupuytren's disease. They found that the natatory ligaments course between the web spaces of all digits and tighten with abduction. As they cross the flexor tendons, they send fibers to attach to the tendon sheath over the MP joints. They also contribute to the web space coalescence. McFarlane et al. studied the anatomy of Dupuytren's disease. They state that natatory ligament involvement causes web space and finger joint contracture fibers from the natatory ligament contribute to the lateral digital fascia and thus contribute to PIP joint contracture. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, palmar pits is incorrect as palmar pits are caused by contracture of the most superficial fibers of the pre bands. Answer 2, metacarpophalangeal joint contracture is incorrect as MCP joint contractures is caused by involvement of the pre and spiral cords. Answer 4, DIP joint contracture is incorrect, as DIP joint contracture is caused by lateral cord involvement. And finally, 5, tender pads over the dorsal aspect of the proximal interphalangeal joints is incorrect, as garods pads over the dorsal aspect of the PIP joint are a fibroblastic proliferation and are not caused by palmar fascia involvement. Moving on to the next question. A patient with Dupuytren's disease inquires about percutaneous needle fasciotomy And collagenase injections. Which of the following is true regarding these two treatment modalities? And the choices are one: collagenase injections are more expensive but require fewer treatments than percutaneous needle fasciotomy to achieve the same results. Two: softening of Dupuytren's cords and nodules is observed in cadaveric experiments after collagenase injections, but not in a clinical setting. Three: skin tears are seen following percutaneous needle fasciotomy, but not after collagenase injections. 4. Peridic rash and axillary lymphadenopathy may be observed after collagenase injections but are not typically seen after percutaneous needle fasciotomy. And 5. Percutaneous needle
1: fasciotomy has a higher incidence of iatrogenic flexor tendon rupture. The correct answer to this question is 4. Puritic rash and axillary lymphadenopathy may be observed after collagenase
0: injections but are not typically seen after percutaneous needle fasciotomy. Regional subtotal fasciectomy is the gold standard of care for treatment of Dupuytren's contracture. However, because of high complication rates up to 40%, non-operative treatments are attractive. In percutaneous needle fasciotomy, a 22-gauge or 25-gauge needle is used to release palpable slash visible cords in the office. This is followed by manipulation and night orthosis wear. In collagenase injections, 0.25 milliliters of collagenase is used for MCP contracture and 0.2 milliliters for PIP contracture. Manipulation is performed the following day under local anesthesia. This is repeated at four weeks if the desired result is not achieved. Black et al. reviewed Dupuytren's disease. They note that recurrence rates were higher for percutaneous needle fasciotomy, that is 85%, compared with fasciectomy, 24%, and conclude that percutaneous needle fasciotomy is acceptable for early disease with less severe contracture and elderly sick patients. Regarding collagenase injections, they note that the most common complications are edema, contusion, pain, lymphadenopathy, and skin laceration. Major complications such as complex regional pain syndrome and flexor tendon rupture are rare. Nidick et al. retrospectively compared percutaneous needle fasciotomy in 30 patients with collagenase injections in 29 patients. Both groups achieved similar satisfaction, complication rates, and success rates defined as contractual reduction to between 0 to 5 degrees. They concluded that both percutaneous needle fasciotomy and collagenase injections provide good alternatives to surgery. Moving on to the next question, Which of the following patients with Dupuytren's contracture would benefit most from dermatophasciectomy and full thickness skin grafting opposed to traditional fasciectomy? And the choices are 1. 70 year old sedentary male with small finger involvement isolated to the MCP joint. 2. 50 year old male systems analyst with ring and small finger involvement limited to the MCP joints. 3. 65 year old female golfer with ring and small finger involvement including MCP and PIP joints. 4. 40-year-old female stenographer with middle, ring, and small finger involvement, including MCP and PIP joints, with 50 and 55-degree contractures of ring and small finger MCP joints, respectively. And 5. None of the
1: above, as no difference in outcome has been demonstrated between the two procedures. So dermatofasciectomy and full thickness grafting has not demonstrated superior finger range of motion, recurrence
0: rate, or patient satisfaction in comparison with traditional fasciectomy. So the correct answer to this question is 5, none of the above as no difference in outcome has been demonstrated between the two procedures. The main reference from Ulla et al. conducted a prospective randomized study of 84 Dupuytren's cases treated with fasciectomy alone or dermatofasciactomy with full thickness skin grafting. The question was whether the overlying skin needed to be excised. No difference in clinical outcome or recurrence rate was discovered. Roy et al. reviewed 79 cases of advanced Dupuytrens treated with radical fasciectomy but preservation of the overlying skin and then adding full thickness skin grafting to the open areas once the fingers were extended. They found the results of fasciectomy to be similar to those published for dermal fasciectomy. Moving on to the next question. In Dupuytren's disease, the retrovascular cord typically displaces the radial proper digital nerve of the ring finger in what direction? And the choices are 1. Palmarly and radially,
1: 2. Dorsally and ulnarly, 3. Palmarly and ulnarly, 4. Dorsally and radially, and 5. Directly dorsal. The correct answer to this question is 3, palmarly
0: and ulnarly. So, retrovascular cords are common in Dupuytren's disease and commonly require surgical treatment. Nerve injury in Dupuytren's surgery is an infrequent complication that occurs partly because the digital nerves can be displaced from their normal anatomic relationships by retrovascular cords. The nerves are displaced superficially toward the center of the digit, that is palmarly and ulnarly. The displacement is typically seen at the level of the metacarpophalangeal joint. And the final question reads all the following have been implicated in the pathogenesis of Dupuytren's contracture except. And the choices
1: are 1 fibroblast growth factor, 2 transforming growth factor beta, 3 myofibroblasts, 4 platelet derived growth factor, and 5 CBFA1. So of the answers listed, only CBFA1 has no known role in the pathogenesis of
0: Dupuytren's contracture. So the correct answer to this question is 5, CBFA1. Core binding factor alpha-1, or CBFA1, is an essential transcription factor for osteoblastic differentiation and osteogenesis. To quickly review once again, Dupuytren's contracture is a disease of the palmar fascia resulting in the thickening and shortening of fibrous bands in the hands and fingers, The offending cells are thought to be myofibroblasts and fibroblasts. Growth factors such as basic fibroblast growth factor, or FGF, platelet-derived growth factor, or PDGF, and transforming growth factor beta, or TGF-beta, may signal the overproduction of the myofibroblasts and or myofibroblastic activity of the fibroblasts. In addition, high levels of TGF-beta may hinder apoptosis of the active myofibroblasts, unlike normal tissue healing. McGruther discusses how pathophysiology of Dupuytrens is related to the anatomy of the palmar ligaments. The article discusses the proposed etiology of Dupuytrens with the loss of normal motion between palmar fascial ligaments causes stress concentrations which stimulate fibrous tissue deposition and contracture. Baird et al. performed a tissue analysis of 12 patients with Dupuytrens contracture compared to 12 control patients. They found that Dupuytrens expressed a higher percentage of peptide regulatory factors, including interleukin-1, alpha-interleukin-1-beta, transforming growth factor beta, and basic fibroblast growth factor. That's all for this review about Dupatrin's disease. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on OrthoBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow
1: right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.